Now you can subscribe to this show through iTunes. Just click the button in the right-hand sidebar and never miss an episode again. Ushering in a new era in independent arts celebration. Indecent exposure. You were convicted of indecent exposure for the third time. That's exactly what it is there, Poindexter. It is four counts of indecent exposure. This is episode number 20 of Indecent Exposure here at the Greylock Glass. I'm your host, Jason Velasquez. Today is Saturday, March 26th. Happy birthday, Josh. 2016. And it occurs to me, after doing some math, that this may be our 100th episode of, of any of the shows here on this podcast network. Um, I think we have just hit, with this show, 100 shows. Uh, we've got, as you know, probably know, we've got different shows. We've got Will Call, which is our arts and culture show. We have the Berkshire Business Outlook. We have uh, Plenty, which is our farm-to-table show. We have, oh, goodness, what else do we have? We have the Top Left Corner, which is a sort of Western Mass news show. Um, and we have some new shows. We have... Uh, problem Solvers-ish with Seth Brown and Lex Friedman, our advice column comedy show. If you haven't heard that yet, you should. Not safe for work, unless you get headphones. We also have a new spirituality show called The Faith Mind Continuum. And if you spend any time thinking about uh, some of the deeper questions of life, I definitely encourage you to check that out. Hosted by my very own better half, Regina Velasquez. We're going to touch on all manner of subjects with that show. It's it's going to be really illuminating. So do check that out. But anyway, uh, I really, I couldn't be more pleased with the last year. Uh, it's It's been a lot of growth very quickly and great reception from every, you know, everybody in the community. It's, it's, I've been encouraged. I've been motivated and, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback. Now, this show, Indecent Exposure, Episode 20, whether it's our 100th show uh, on the network or not, it doesn't really matter. I am very, very honored to have a guest who is doing some amazing work in a number of fields. We've heard him before uh, on, on the show. It's filmmaker, musician, art advocate, Joe Adonitis, who is a North Adams creator. And he is going to be talking to us about a project that he has going on with his partner, Augusta Rose. And the two of them are engaged in a really heavy-duty, high-impact filmmaking project that I know you're going to be interested in. It's uh, it's a documentary about uh, a young woman who is a friend of theirs, uh, named Clara Gardner, and she lost her legs in 2008 due to an accident involving a drunk driver. And that's not the story. Uh, the story is is what she's doing right now to make sure that her mobility is the best it can possibly be. And Joe and Augusta are there right now to join her on a journey. Uh, that's going to take her across the world. And uh, I'll let him tell you all about it, but uh, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a story you're going to want to follow long after this podcast is over. So uh, let's go to the interview now with Joe Adonitis. 
Joe, it is great to have you here on Indecent Exposure. How are you doing? Great. Great to be here, Jason. You know, we have been a little bit out of contact for the winter, and it seemed really fortuitous when we sort of hooked back up because of a video that you'd uh, you'd released on YouTube, and it sort of led to today's conversation. Um, we've talked a little bit about music in the past. We've talked a little bit about the Common Folk Artist Collective. Why don't you give us a little bit of a backstory on, on, on Joe? Where are you coming from? I am a filmmaker and all-around kind of art enthusiast. And basically what I've been trying to devote my life to recently is the creation and sharing of art. And the way I try to do that is by um, not making my art about myself, but using it to create a platform for others. So um, in terms of Convoke Artist Collective, um, what I've been doing is uh, a lot of my videos that I produce are highlighting other artists, whether they're um, artists' bios or if they're um, performances or interesting things going on. Um, and Convoke is kind of devoted to that same thing. It's it's using art to um, produce change, but also giving a platform or stage to allow um, young people or local artists or people who might not otherwise have um, avenues to um, share their art. This kind of allows them to um, have an audience. And it diversifies what becomes popular and um, why. Um, So a lot of my work uh, is devoted to that. And uh, more, more, more recently, I've I've been really intrigued by, um, you know, documentaries and um, just basically uh, observing observing what is interesting around me. And um, North Adams is just is just chock full of that. I mean, you go outside and you can, you know, shake anyone's hand on the street, and they're just a character. Yeah, there are there are an unlimited number of stories in in North Adams and the surrounding towns. No question about that. Um, you've got some of your work um, f- with the common folk uh, up on YouTube. You've you've done some some video work uh, to sort of highlight their what they're doing. Right. Um, so I I uh, moved here about half a year ago, and since I. I started a, a short series called uh, Calm Folk Presents, which is basically a, uh, a handful of local artists or um, bands who are passing through North Adams who um, are gracious enough to let me record them performing um, maybe one or two songs. So um, these are people who are directly um, contributing to our, uh, the art collective or people who are performing for the art collective, and um, a lot of these people are in varying stages of um, professional, uh, you know, their professional level of performing. Some are touring bands. Some are just people who play in their bedroom. But I, I really fell in love with the idea of being able to um, hear music that no one else, no one else has heard, and. Mm-hmm. There is so much that is hidden from the mainstream. And, you know, it, it kind of got spurred on by the idea of 
I don't listen to the radio anymore because though there are some great songs on the radio, why are we listening to things that are three years old? There's certainly a time and a place, but every day is not that time and place. So being able to find the new stuff and record it and share it with others is just a huge joy for me. And I kind of feel like, you know, if only five people in the world have heard that song, it's like, wow, you know, I, what a privilege for me to be able to hear this music and um, be able to share it with others. In this age of consolidation, cultural consolidation especially, it almost seems like a subversive act to do what you're doing. I, you know, that that is a really interesting point. Uh, it It certainly doesn't have a lot of immediate... Um, benefits. You know, it's not something that is rewarded in the mainstream. There are certain entities doing this that are very good at it. Uh, I look to KEXP, Tiny Desk Concert. These are type of these types of organizations work with groups who are what you would consider indie uh, or up and coming, becoming popular. But the way they've become popular is from the tier down of people doing you know, tiny house sessions or uh, the Calm Folk Presents type things and they explode on the internet and suddenly these entities above, the tier above, are like, well, we got to get on this because <laughs> <laughs> we, we're just jumping on board because that's the wave. And you can't blame them for that, but where it comes from is I think individuals just looking at their friends or looking at local bands they admire and saying, wow, this deserves to be shared and this is interesting. Now, you are, you are uh, one, of the, one of the two uh, person duo that is Anonymous Animal. Uh, so you are a musician yourself. What, what is that, how does that inform your, your filmmaking when you're, when you're looking at artists uh, performing live? What, it, what does that do for you? I, I really, at this point, can't um, do one without the other. And many people think, oh, you're a musician, you're one thing, you're a filmmaker, you're another thing, and if you combine them, you're combining two worlds, where Anonymous Animal is really this amalgam of um, digital content. And I, I say digital content because it's many different things. It's It's music to download, it's videos to watch, but most of the time, they're paired together and where we found most of our success is creating an audience um, that doesn't necessarily love the music. And that is kind of a weird thing for a musician to come out and say, but really our success has been in sharing our technique and sharing our, our style of production. And um, so, for example, we have two YouTube channels for our group. Anonymous Animal and Anonymous Animal 2, both on YouTube. One is drastically more successful than the second. Um, Anonymous Animal is just um, us performing. It's usually live. It's usually um, something we've written in a day or a week. Um, we record it uh, and we do video of it and then we put it out. It usually gets a nice response. People are like, cool, this is great. They'll dig it or they don't, whatever. But our second channel is devoted to how we make that music, how we use our gear, and that has just exploded. And people are very engaged, and we have a dialogue with our audience now 
which is very much about we like what you're producing. How do we produce it? Hmm. And that is the new online economy. It's not so much that people are looking to invest in you because, oh, I like what you're doing, so you deserve something financial. It's, I like what you're doing. I would like to do it too. I'm a creator. Now cater to the creators. And that is exactly what Anam Samuel 2 sets out to do. It's really to facilitate other creators coming to the table and sharing their technique rather than, I'm going to entertain you. This is a passive experience. Please give me money. That's a tec- that doesn't work. That's a tectonic shift, I think, in, in how the economy is set up. It, it, is, it has become an economy of, of, of sharing of information. It has become an economy of participation, which is interesting considering that so many people thought that a digital world would be a less involved world. But in fact, in some ways, if you are a creator, you are more tied in with the people that share your interests than you ever could have been before. Well, I think that comes from people genuinely wanting to invest in themselves. And that usually manifests in, well, I'm going to research and find out how I can push myself to the next level. So they're seeking these examples of where do I want to be? And if a young kid finds my videos online and says, wow, I would like to be able to do that, and they ask me how, I'm more than happy to send, send them a message, send them some you know, project files, or even take in what they've produced, because that is the beauty of this whole process. Someone says, hey, how do you do this? I can check out their work, and now I have questions for them. So it's, reciprocation is just a huge part of um, this whole new experience of online sharing. Yeah, it's a very rewarding feedback loop. Um, now, you said take it to the next level a moment ago, and, and I think that that's probably a really good jumping off point um, for the next step. And um, it seems that uh, based on you know what I've seen of your work, um, this project, uh, this documentary is uh, probably, you know, at least a, a head above anything you've you've undertaken before is would you say that's true absolutely um give us some background on on how how you came to to connect with this story so um my first experience with this story um i was introduced to claire gardner through my longtime girlfriend augusta rose who is also my film partner on this project um i was uh, in Fitchburg, uh, studying at Fitchburg State, and Clara came to visit, and um, she is a wonderful young woman. I immediately immediately took a liking to her, as I probably liked most of my girlfriend's friends. They're just all um, bubbly and very uh, sociable people. Um, Clara is a double amputee, and my one of my first experiences with her was. Uh, can you help me get up the stairs? And I was like, sure. And I, you know, gave her a piggyback ride and I ran up three flights of stairs. And, um, you know, it was, that was something that I really remember because we were laughing on, the, you know, the whole way up. And she was just really, um, as, well, I remember us laughing. Hopefully we were. But 
it was something that it was a noticeable characteristic about her, her but we you know we used it as a, a way to maybe introduce each other um so since then um Augusta's friendship with her extends back to when they were in their very early teens about 13 12 or 13 years ago um but that's when I became acquainted with Clara um and her story is just um really remarkable so uh, I mentioned that she's a double amputee and um about 7 years ago she was returning from a trip to Mexico and she was loading a car. Um, she was outside train station loading a car with her luggage and a drunk driver uh, came down the street and was going much too fast, lost control of the car and pinned her between his car and the car she was loading, immediately uh, destroying both of her legs. And um, after... You know, doctors were successful in saving her, but her legs were completely gone. Um, they had to be amputated and uh, thus started her journey on this path to um, relearning how to walk. And uh, if anyone is anything, it, you, you can just imagine the fact that that is a huge undertaking. And it has taken her years to be able to walk on prosthetics. It is it is just um when I think about it it is it's inspiring but it's really a very daunting thing for the average person to think about and say I can't even imagine losing one leg never mind two and both above the knee which is just compounds the issues so um where she's at now is really interesting and that's kind of where this this story starts. Clara is uh, using socket prosthetics, which basically were invented in the 1500s and haven't changed much. They they've become a bit more sophisticated, but the the whole idea behind pro, uh, socket prosthetics is that the residual limb sits in basically a cup that is the shape of the limb. So. When you move your residual limb, the prosthetic is responding to the residual limb moving it about. And that works. That It does work. Where it becomes complicated is socket prosthetics nowadays, some of them are um, suction-based. So they, for some, it, they work great. For Clara, they are very uncomfortable. They cause her pain. Uh, her body can't change form because they're molded around um, the body <laughs> that she had when they were molded. So if she gains muscle, she loses muscle. If she gains or loses any weight, they don't fit anymore. They become more comfortable. She wants to walk less. And the whole kind of cycle of um, basically learning to walk in these things starts again. Mm-hmm. And that's where she's at. So... Um, Claire learned about osteointegration, and she did a a, a GoFundMe campaign. She um, she needed money to get this new surgery, and she was very successful. She aimed for forty thousand dollars, raised sixty in a very short amount of time. Um, 
huge support from the amputee community. So explain why it is that she she needed to raise money for this for this procedure. This this was not covered by by insurance. No, um, unfortunately, this procedure isn't covered by insurance, and the reason why is because this procedure isn't available in the United States. So osteointegration uh, is available in Europe, and it is available in Australia, and the FDA has not approved it um, in the United States, so it's not something that insurance covers. Uh, So to undergo the surgery, Clara is going to have to travel to Australia to do so. Got it, got it. Now... I'm guessing that um, despite the success, uh, I, I did do some reading about uh, osteointegration. It's really a fascinating uh, subject um, with a lot of promise if it were to be extended, if the FDA were to, to uh, accept it here. Um, but it does seem like there, it's kind of a one shot. You got one shot at it because they, they drill into the femur and they put a, a titanium rod. Is that the, Do I understand that? Right. So if I can give you a little background on the process, um, basically also integration is integrating a titanium rod into the residual limb. And the way they do that is they, in this case for Clara, they would drill into the femur uh, laterally about two-thirds of the way up and insert a titanium rod into the femur. So the femur would heal around that and literally fuse the titanium into the bone. And I guess they use titanium because titanium not only is accepted by the human body, but actually will integrate into the human body, into the, into the bone. Really? Okay. So there is, there is risk. Um, as you may have pointed out, it is in the very immediate term. I, you know, I, I have to say this with a disclaimer. I'm not hundred percent sure on the science of this, but you can imagine that by hollowing out part of the femur to put in this this uh, this rod, you are it is maybe a one shot thing because in the immediate term it is a bit destructive. The way it heals, it becomes very strong around that. But um, yes, it, you have to get it right. Now, what else is involved besides? I mean, okay, so there, there's the the rod, um, and and I'm guessing that the the prosthetic, um, rather than just being simply attached via a socket in a in a passive sort of way, this is actually there's a connection made, right? Right. So um, the key word is anchorage, and when this rod heals into the body, uh, a bit of it is sticking out of the residual limb. And from there, instead of wearing a socket prosthetic around the limb, you can attach a prosthetic to the end of this rod. And what that allows the prosthetic to do is respond to the movement of the femur instead of the movement of the limb. So people have reported just wonderful results from this. And um, I've looked at videos of people walking with this new type of prosthetic, and it's astounding. They they will move so naturally, and um, it looks as though they're walking just as well as they would have if they had not been missing a limb. It's just fascinating to me. But Anchorage is really um, 
is really the key term. To be able to wear a prosthetic that is more responsive than um, basically a cup on your leg. Uh, so that that's really the exciting part about it. And you 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 eliminate so many things from that process in terms of chafing, in terms of um, you know uh, pain, in terms of uh, risk of infection. It's very it's very um, promising, and so it's exciting to see how that's going to um, affect Clara and allow her more freedom and allow her more comfort and the ability to not budget her time moving around uh, walking. Uh, hopefully, this will allow her to um, yeah allow her another level of freedom that she she's been working towards. Sure, I think that I think that this um, this is a really it's a huge step. As you say, uh, we've had prosthetics uh, for a long time. You've you've suggested uh, you know at least five centuries, and they haven't changed much. And <clears throat> this little bit of technical advance uh, can allow her uh, to basically live the life that that most of us are living now. You know, at least in terms of mobility. But I wanted to I wanted to bring. Uh, Joe, the filmmaker, back into the discussion, because as you're talking, I'm thinking that you've really had to learn a lot about this process, a lot about the the, the background, um, to be able to just think about the the basic storyline here um, that you're going to try and tell. Uh, would you say that these are? Uh, specifics, these are details that you have to have to get the story told right? The, the... I think I think so. Um, and uh, if I'm wrong about that, then that's fine because I want to know these things. I'm very, I'm genuinely a curious person and I love knowing how things work. Uh, and I've always had a love for science. It comes from my father. Um, I remember when I was really young, yeah, I watch cartoons like any young kid, but my father would sit me down, we'd watch Nova, we'd watch, you know, Bill Nye, which, you know, looking <laughs> he's a different character now, but when I, for a, a young kid that that was a great um introduction to science. And I I genuinely have this curiosity about technology and um you know, health that they're kind of combining perfectly to urge me to cover this story. And it, it really just hits on all these marks of, you know, where are we going? What are we capable of as, you know, humankind? Um, how can we improve our lives? How does technology play a role in that? And um, what is the potential? And I feel like this is all of that. This is kind of we're pushing – we're pushing the boundaries, and there are people who are us to do that. Claire is one of those risk takers for the rest of us, and we owe her a lot in that respect because she is um, she's gone through a lot. She's going to be going through more, and if she comes out of it on top, which I have a lot of faith she will, then it can really help a lot of people, and that really makes me excited. Mm. Now, you know, this would be a great story um, to try to tell, 
I mean, when I say great story, I mean a, an important story, of course, not a not a good story, because uh, I don't think anybody wants to have to um, go through this sort of um, um, probably painful and 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 frightening. Um, I mean, the the obvious, the initial accident that caused her to be facing this was was devastating, but there must be a certain amount of anxiety about traveling to another country to get an operation um, that you hope will change your change your life for the better. Um, this would be a powerful story without you having a relationship with Clara already. Is it? Is it, do you think, different to tell a story about somebody you know well, you've known for a while, than it would be if she were, had been a stranger? I think there are certain elements that make it easier and certainly elements that make it harder. Whenever I'm trying to tell a story or basically probe into someone's life, it's very intrusive, it's disruptive. Um, you can't do something like this well without bothering your subject and you you take care to be polite and not not cross those boundaries abruptly but you are going to cross boundaries because not all of this is intuitive not all of this is something that everyone will talking about so whenever I Whenever I ask someone something so personal to find out who they are, I might be touching a very tender nerve, and I have no idea. So in that respect, when it's someone who is a friend, it's even it's easier in some ways because they may in the past have opened up to you as a friend. But as a filmmaker, when they understand that this is going to be shared, it is... It is kind of this, this, this line you cross between I'm your friend and I've already told you this and are you betraying my, my trust in you and using it for this film? And some people are very sensitive to that. In this case, Clara is very open and she wants people to know her story and she is more than welcoming of questions and she's been um, in that way teaching people about um, you know, her condition. But the idea of doing a documentary or a bio, what I always try to avoid is basically typecasting someone or stereotyping someone. I don't want people to come away and be like, that is the only thing that Clara is about, just her accident. She is, like every human, a complex human being. She has so many components to her that can't be summed up in one sentence. So that's where this medium comes in because hopefully by by documenting her story, people will understand the nuances of what it takes to basically live in her shoes. And having been a friend for some time, I'm sure that not only does it allow you to already have that familiarity with those components, the, you know, the complexities that we all have, uh, but it probably also creates an obligation to make sure you, you get it as right as possible because you have no excuse for not getting it right. Certainly. Um, it'd almost be easier if it was someone I didn't like because if I messed up, like say I was doing uh, some 
a documentary about some skeevy politician. If I got it wrong, I could face some consequences, but at least I wouldn't lose a friend. Right. But in this case, it's I I take you know precautions to um, to prevent that, and a lot of that is just being being um, open and asking a lot of questions and allowing things to be off the record. But let's allow let's let's add another layer of complexity to it, though, because you mentioned at the very beginning that your partner in this endeavor is fellow filmmaker Augusta Rose, who is your girlfriend. Yes. So, I mean, in short, how does that work? Uh, it works. It's very interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be as neutral as possible because I know she's going to listen to this. Augusta is, um, I'm not talking her up because she's just my girlfriend, but she is an amazing artist. Um, we met uh, seven years ago in school, um, and we had been on and off since, but we basically have come back together in the past year and have been producing or help each, helping each other produce content. And this is basically our first huge project together. Um, her familiarity with Clara, because Augusta's known Clara much longer than I have, her familiarity with it and her her art aligns with this project so seamlessly that um, she is really probably the driving force behind what this is going to be and how we have access to um, certain elements of this this whole documentary. Right. But wor- working with with your girlfriend is um, for us. It's been it's been fantastic. There are certain boundaries that you have to acknowledge, and certain times where you have to stop being in a relationship in order to work and then stop and then go, go back to being in a relationship, but being completely done with work. Um, and that is a, that's a hard line, but it's been going well. Uh, surprisingly, I'm very surprised. by it. Mm. it sounds a little bit as if, um, just as with Clara, um, the way to, the way to successfully go back and forth across these lines, these boundaries, is to not pretend that they're not there. Right. It's acknowledging that, you know, for myself, because I, I don't want to speak for Augusta, but if if things are going wrong, am I am I not only you know being discouraged because. Um, things are not going right, but is it also because I, you know, it's a personal problem with my girlfriend, and if that's the case, then you have to be very serious and acknowledge it, um, and most of the time, very humble, and say, you know what, I'm not treating you fairly, or I'm not treating the situation with the openness that it deserves, because you don't have that luxury of going home and apologizing to a work colleague like you do with someone you're working with so closely who is your partner. Uh, so um, it really comes down to defining roles and giving each other the... We, we both have power in this project to say no or to say yes, and the other understands when that's appropriate 
and when they're basically like, well, you're the director, you can say yes to certain things. You're the producer, you can say yes to certain things. You know, and we have we have so many roles in this, but being able to define those roles and say, well, let me look at Augusta as the producer now, not my girlfriend, and ask producer Augusta Rose, what is the best call? And if I disagree, she has the the total power to say, no, we're doing it like this because it's best for the project, not because she's trying to um, outdo um, me as a person. She's trying to do what's best for what is going to advance the whole project. Now, from what I understand about filmmaking, especially, um, you know, when you are, you know, pretty tapped for cash, um, it tends to be a massive, um, an epic struggle. I mean, it tends to be this, this quest, this battle, this, uh, this long slog. Uh, and you're just at the beginning of this, really. You're going to be traveling uh, to Australia. And so you're going to be multiplying some of the complexities of this project just by that fact alone. Um, tell us, what's, what's the... Um, I mean, obviously, you have choices that you're going to make. Um, you know, in terms of what you're going to try to present, why why go to Australia? What's the importance of going with her? I think there's something really metaphorical about someone with no legs having to travel to the other side of the world to basically regain the ability to walk. And that in itself is so such a poignant part of this to me that it's an unavoidable part of telling the story. And to go with her is to at least partially step into her shoes and say, and to see or to experience what it would be like to go on, on that endeavor. And to film her before and then after her surgery without going with her, I think you'd miss a lot of her her journey because whatever this turns out to be as a documentary will not even scratch the surface of who Clara is as a person. Hopefully you'll get some sense of it and you'll empathize with her um, struggle. But really, I've never walked away from an hour and a half documentary and thought, oh, I, I totally understand everything about that person. Nor have I walked away from a conversation with a person and thought that. That usually takes years of someone's life, and even then, how do you know? But to be able to follow her to Australia and see what she has to go through in order to make this happen, uh, I think that that is probably the most important part, the travel. Her rehabilitation, her surgery, probably just as important, important but to the story, the travel is probably the biggest part. Hmm. Now, you are in pre-production now. Give us a, a timeline of, of what's to come in your process uh, to, to get this film made. What, what are the next your next steps? So, uh, basically, we are in pre-production and 
what that means for us is we're already in production. We're we're shooting now, but we're figuring out the logistics of uh, how we're going to travel, how we're going to uh, survive in Australia. Um, surviving means just having a place to stay and a uh, home base to produce out of, and uh, how we're going to have access to tell the story. We're very lucky that we have a lot of access in terms of um, the hospital allowing us to shoot. The only place we can't shoot is the operating room, unfortunately, but that is for a good reason. Um, but everything else right now is revolving around planning, um, along with getting some some shots here. So everything is compounded and it's being juggled a lot. Um, may, one of our main concerns is funding because um, that is going to allow us to do certain things like travel to Australia. We've been very fortunate that we have had some uh, people invest in the project already who believe in the cause. And we we're hoping that this, this story has a wide appeal and will garner some support. But everything altogether has just been um, a blur so far because from the point of saying, yes, we are able to do this project, we want to do this project, to when we actually leave, which is um, late April and through May, uh, it is just almost no time to... um, to basically relax. We're basically going from now until we get back at the end of May, and then we're going to decide (laughs) on um, the next step after that. Now, you you have a a pretty pretty, speedy fundraising campaign going on right now that you've you've really got to kind of get off the ground as, as quickly as possible. Why don't you tell us about that? You've got a crowd, a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, we, um, we have a Kickstarter that's going right now. We launched it two days ago. Um, fortunately, we are already 50% funded, uh, which is amazing. In the first 48 hours, getting 50% of what we're asking for. Um, so, so basically we're, we're reaching out to people just to fund this first leg of our journey um, because this documentary won't end when we come back and follow Clara through her recovery. It's going to take a lot of a lot of the rest of the year to cover the story um, and not only speak with Clara but with other people who have um, similar stories and other um, professionals who want to talk to us about um, what it what it means to get surgery like this. So we are we're just funding our first leg of the journey. It is just to produce in Australia. A lot of that's travel. A lot of that is production costs uh, over there, um, which is which is basically the the main chunk. Just getting there uh, and getting home, obviously. But um, we we have just been faced with this huge outpouring of generosity and support and um, for for a great cause in my opinion um, usually I in the past I've asked for support for other projects and I've been met with a lot of generosity but people are responding to this in a big way and um, it's very humbling and it's very inspiring and it makes me feel like this is very possible and uh, 
the fact that people are invested in this and they want to learn about it. So um, I, I can't thank people enough for um, saying yes and saying, yeah, this should happen. Um, it, it's very, very overwhelming in a great way. Well, we are going to provide actually quite a few links uh, in the show notes to this episode. And, and of course, one of them uh, will be the uh, the link to that, that Kickstarter campaign. And, and I've seen the video uh, that uh, it's it's certainly it's uh, it's convincing. It's uh, it's a really convincing video. Um, so I'll make sure that that link is there so people can visit your Kickstarter page. Um, one last question, and and this is one of the things because most of my most of my content that I've ever created in, in life has has been written. Um, so as a writer, as a as often an essayist, um, you know you have a thesis statement. You know, you you know what the main thing is. Uh, sometimes you don't always know immediately. You you refine that. What is the main point? Do you know what the main point of this of making this documentary is yet? Do do you already have that in mind? I think the main main point that we aim for, and it could change, but right now when I think about it, is the idea that we as People are capable of so much. Uh, we're capable of a lot of good things, ingenuity, kindness, resourcefulness, uh, endurance. And hopefully by watching Clara overcome what she's overcome and go through what she's about to go through, um, the type of person she is, people will walk away with feeling like they can do it too, and that they have hope for whatever problems in life that they're facing, big or small, um, whether they're health-related or um, or not, to be able to watch someone try as hard as they can, succeed or fail, is inspiring, not only to me, but I believe to, to many, many people. So if, if at all possible, if we could use this as a way to inspire good out of people, then we've done our job. Well, Joe, my friend, you've got a, a huge, important project ahead of you. And I, I wish you all the best. I wish you safe travels. Um, I'm really excited to see uh, the, the, the product of this and, and to hear about its, uh, its progress on social media and, and on, in other ways. Um, I guess we'll check in with you when you get back from down under, eh? Yeah, hopefully. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Jason. So thank you so much. The pleasure's mine. And uh, folks, just remember, um, the faster we can get uh, this campaign supported, uh, the the maybe the, the little bit of rest uh, that Joe and Augusta uh, think they're going to miss, maybe they'll actually get to take a breath before they leave. All right. Take care, Joe. And we'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jason. Bye. Yeah, bye-bye. As I said, a very compelling tale told by two very capable storytellers. We wish all three of them the best on their journey to Australia next month. So, I have links in the show notes, as I always do. We don't make you take the notes here. We do that for you. Uh, Just if you happen to be listening through iTunes or some other service, remember that you can go to greylockglass.com. 
find this episode, which is episode 20 of Indecent Exposure, and you can read the show notes, which include links to just about everything we talked about here. So don't forget that. Till next time, you all just keep living that freewheeling indie lifestyle. Take care. Take care.